Hi, I'm Callie. And I'm Rachel. And we are Pelvic Service Announcement. We kind of talked about it last week, but there is a trigger warning on this episode. This episode will contain discussions of violence, slavery, medical experimentation. Medical experimentation. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's we a lot. really, if you are under the age of 13, we really don't recommend no. this episode. Probably so, not for you. So listener discretion is advised. Big time. Before we get started. But if we still have your attention. If you're still here. We are going to be talking about the father of modern gynecology to kind of wrap up our little series on basically... We called it medieval medicine, but it was just a series of, holy crap, I can't believe they did this. Yeah, pretty much. And this is going to be like the culmination of that. This is the peak of of that. This isn't technically like medieval. It's the 1800s, yeah. but... It may as well be. It, these methods were evil. It's bad. bad. Guys, this is bad. So today we are talking about James Marion Sims, who was an American physician in surgery, basically, was kind of what, what he's known for. And he did, he did a lot. He did. He did a lot. So just wanted to preface this with some of the sources that we got a lot of this material from. I think number one, and kind of what spurred this was actually a different podcast called Medical Murders. They actually just did a two-part series, two-part, uh, two episodes on on him. So that kind of sparked a lot of it. Got a lot of information from there. Also, the Encyclopedia of Alabama, the History Channel. There are a couple books. J. Marion Sims actually wrote an autobiography called My Life. Um, it, don't recommend reading it. It's like it. an ode to any quote I wrote, read. It was like, he was so wonderful. Everybody else is so stupid. He's the greatest. Oh, yeah. Now you don't have to read the book. I just wrote that. That's yeah, it. that was about it. That was about it. So that's kind of where we're getting a lot of this information. If you want to do your own research, there's a lot more out there on everything that he did. We're not going to talk about everything because some of it is just too honestly much. is just too much to talk about on this podcast and kind of outside of the scope of what we're trying to talk about today. Um, but it is important to kind of know our roots and even the dark sides of it. Absolutely. So this guy, upon first glance, it looks like he's a pretty, pretty stellar guy. Like, oh, the father of modern gynecology. How progressive. Um, in 1876, he was named the president of the American Medical Association. In 1880, he became the president of the American Gynecological Society. There was a statue that was built, erected in his honor. So it's like, oh, wow. Must have been a great guy, right? Wrong. So he actually started practicing medicine in a time where it looked vastly different than what we think of medicine today. So the training was not nearly as extensive. And there really was no such thing as women's health care in terms of like what we think of today. In fact, treating women was really considered distasteful because it was still kind of that ideology it was a male dominate male only world only men could be doctors at this time and so 
it was very, very inappropriate, uncomely to do a vaginal exam on a woman, anything like that. It was just very, very distasteful. But he actually started doing this, kind of happened upon this, and he is credited with the invention of the speculum, which any most of us women are familiar with if you've ever had a pap smear although his speculum looked vastly different it's, yeah it's a little bit different than, <laughs> than, what, than we what we've got going on today um yeah his, his first like prototype he just bent a spoon in half yeah he's really not that creative he's, he's like oh that'll just, just kind yeah. that up so so he actually got started in lancaster south carolina he opened a practice um, after he graduated from Jefferson Medical College. He graduated in 1835. His practice almost immediately failed, like almost as soon as it began. He had two babies die on his watch. His two first patients were infants and they died. And he had no idea why, didn't know what to do about it. And so he pretty much had to leave south carolina because nobody trusted him to be their doctor after that and that's when he moved to macon county alabama and that's when he started earning his living by treating slaves on plantations one of the quotes that i found from him just based off of his um his education and his beginnings in his career first of all he was described as a quote-unquote lackluster student so he was really nothing special and this is literally a quote straight from his autobiography he says i felt no particular interest in my profession at the beginning of it apart from making a living i was really ready at any time in any moment to take up anything that offered or held any inducement of fortune because i knew i could never make a fortune out of the practice of medicine so he didn't even really want to be a doctor in the first place yeah so mm. he basically just was like well i can make money off of this so let's do it let's figure it out so while in alabama at that time, when it came to um, medical treatment of slaves, most of the time that was handled at the plantation, but when there was more severe cases, that's when they would take him to these physicians' offices. And from my understanding, you couldn't, as horrible as it is, you couldn't just take an enslaved person anywhere. Like, it had to be these specific physicians that would treat them, because not all physicians would. And another horrible thing about this, because it sounds like, oh, like, it's so great he's treating slaves. Okay, he's not doing this out of the kindness of his heart. The no. whole purpose of treating these enslaved people was basically, like, so they could be sound, so they could go back to work, so they could keep producing children or keep producing. I mean, it was just a horrible, horrible, horrible. Yeah, no, this was, this was nothing more to these slave owners other than, like, I mean... A machine not working right like taking it to mechanical i can't produce crop i can't farm my crop if this tractor doesn't work that's what this comes down to like this was not not out of like kelly said not out of the goodness of his heart not out of compassion no this was this was because the enslaved people if they were hurt they were less valuable to their owners yep and you'll see that in basically the way Sims practices and the way he treats these patients. So 
like Hallie mentioned, treating the pelvic organs and really anything specific to women was really considered unsavory at the time. There was no training for medical doctors at this point. When they were going through medical school, there was no training in gynecological problems. Like the field of gynecology was non-existent. And so it was really just a lot of guesswork when it came to treating these dysfunctions. And so this is another quote. I could not verify this quote. I could not find this one specifically. I'm pretty sure this one came from Wikipedia. So take it with a grain of salt, but it tracks knowing with <laughs> it. It sounds pretty legit coming from Sims. He said, if there was anything I hated, it was investigating the organs of the female pelvis. So again, this is not out of the goodness of his heart. This is not out of genuine medical curiosity or need. This is a way for him to make money and get famous. He has no desire to help women. He has no interest in helping women specifically. He hated it. Literally hated it. So things changed when an enslaver brought one of his female slaves to Sims after she was bucked off of a horse and was experiencing low back and pelvic pain. He didn't really know what was going on. She was also having some urinary incontinence. Sims placed her on all fours to examine the vagina, thinking that he needed to actually reposition the uterus itself. That was kind of what his thought process was. Real brilliant man there. And apparently he couldn't see far enough. And so he took a kitchen spoon, bent it at half, and thus the speculum was born. Like literally a pewter spoon That's from the kitchen. He Just bent it, bent it in half and used it to open the vaginal canal and was like, I invented this. And now we like credit him with the invention of the speculum, which I think is kind of questionable. In reality, medical tools for inspection of the female organs have genuinely been around since the Roman Empire. We have found some of those dating all the way back to Roman Empire. Newer designs are smoother. They are quieter. They are warmer. My gynecologist has a little drawer for her little warming. It's a warming drawer for that speculum. You hardly even feel that thing go in there. It is so nice. But. Definitely not a pewter spoon today. Not a pewter spoon. So, however, what he did find in his exam, he did find kind of an explanation for the urinary incontinence with the exam of this woman, which the positioning on all four things, like, just everything about this description seems so inhumane. Like, and could you be any more demeaning? Yeah. yeah. However, he did discover a vesic- vesico-vaginal fistula, VVF, which just basically means a hole between like where the bladder is and where the vagina is. And it's painful and it leads to urinary incontinence and it's just not great. So, yeah. So, instead of it being like the kind of incontinence that we have talked about on our podcast, this is urine that is actually leaking out of the vaginal opening, not the urethra. This is not like true, genuine urinary incontinence. This is incontinence due to that fistula. So that hole between the bladder and the vaginal wall can develop as a pretty complicated, as a, as a result of a very complicated childbirth. And back in the 1800s because they didn't have that same medical care for women as they were pregnant and during that child delivery process and because they didn't really have any forms of contraception women had a much higher birth rate i think we talked about it in our in our last episode of just most women had at least eight kids 
or mm-hmm. had been pregnant at least eight times. And so the more pregnancies you have, the more complications that are likely to happen. And this vesicovaginal fistula was a pretty common and very detrimental complication because as the bladder fills because of that hole it was just almost immediate and continuous incontinence like there was no stopping it there was no control over it it doesn't matter how to how strong your pelvic floor is like it was not going to change that level of incontinence and this can happen with the rectum as well it's a rectovaginal fistula and same thing that fecal matter basically coming out of the vaginal opening. And so this is a pretty significant deficit. Deficit. Yeah. Yeah. This is a pretty, pretty significant diagnosis. And so that is what Sims found on this slave. Um, The existence is believed to have been known to physicians of ancient Egypt, and they've actually found mummies um, with examples of a vesicovaginal fistula, um, in the years 2000 BC. Wow. Yeah. So this has been this has been around. In modern times, it is mainly prevalent in more underdeveloped countries. There are estimates of over 3 million unrepaired fistulas, most likely due to the lack of antenatal care that uh, that we see kind of more in uh, more in developed countries. Um, and in those developed countries, they usually occur more as a result of some sort of gynecological, urologic, or other pelvic surgery. So some other surgical complication. Evaluation of the size and number of fistulas is crucial. Treatment typically is immediate surgery um, to repair typically with a vaginal approach. And so a lot of cases, um, about 10% of cases can close spontaneously, but it does, um, does typically require some sort of surgical intervention. And that is where Sims just decided to let his little light shine. Right. Because with, we mentioned with uh, women's healthcare being non-existent at the time, there was no cure for this no. beforehand. I mean, it was just, you're just incontinent the rest of your life. And with just how things were back then, that would have been very, very detrimental to anyone. But then you think of slaves and what was expected of them. Make no mistake, these um, slave owners were not having this fixed. We're not wanting this fixed just again out of the goodness of their heart oh we don't want to see these people suffer it was because their productivity decreased with these complications so sims and gets the bright idea hey let's start experimenting and so he makes a deal with these slave owners and it's like hey if you will provide clothing and taxes um he would take temporary ownership of these women until the treatment was completed and there's even a quote and I don't have the direct quote but he like complains about having to feed them yeah another quote from him because he, he takes ownership of several women eventually and another quote was there was never a time that I could not at any day have a subject for operation so it's just basically his own lab where yeah. he gets to experiment on these women and try to come up with a technique to repair these fistulas. That's all. Yeah, that's all it was. And so, again, 
remember, we just want you to keep in mind, physicians at this time, including Sims, they had no gynecological training, knowledge, experience, nothing. He was literally just going at this just... In just the dark, basically. Yeah. yeah. Just, just to f- maybe figure it out. So at the time, other physicians had successfully repaired fistulas like this. Sims was not the first. So he's not that special. <laughs> but I just want to take away as much credit as I possibly can from this man. So there were other physicians that had repaired fistulas at this time. Um, we have the names of three women, three slaves, Lucy, Anarka, and Betsy. Sims operated on these women multiple, multiple times and usually in front of other physicians without anesthesia between the years 1845 and 1849. Oh, yeah. Um, Lucy, who you talked about, she was 18 years old the first time he operate on, operated on her. She had developed one of these fistulas after a very, very traumatic birth. Um, during the procedure, she was these patients were completely naked. They were asked to perch on their hands and knees in that position we described. And these surgeries were an hour to a couple hours long. And so with her surgery in particular, there was a dozen male physicians in the room. While she's completely naked, exposed in this position. No anesthesia. No anesthesia. Sims writes, Lucy's agony was extreme. She became and she became extremely ill due to his controversial use of a sponge to drain away the bladder during the surgery. So basically, um, this gave her blood poisoning because yeah, he had he the left bladder a sponge, right? Yeah. And it a sponge, urine, open wound. I mean, it's a recipe for infection, and so that's just one example of probably how all of those surgeries went i mean it's just horrible it it's really sickening to go and to study some of the things he did but it was just i think it was anaka anarka he did what 30 surgeries 30. is that what you were saying 30. so these women underwent multiple surgeries and it wasn't just these three these are just the only three whose names we have in regards to the anesthesia because i did a little bit of digging and if you look up this man j marion sims you'll find a lot of controversy over everything that happened. There are some people that say, you know what, he was just, it's just a product of his time. Like that's just the way that it was back then. And so how can we hold that against him? And you'll see other people that are like, like us that are in the camp of, no, this is cruel. And there is no defense of this. And I like, I won't, in regards to that argument, it was a product of his time. I disagree with that because there is evidence there were physicians at the time that disagreed with what he was doing yeah. and they thought it was inhumane. Yeah. So to me, that argument just doesn't hold water. No, not at all. So the first successful operation with anesthesia was actually performed in 1846. So a year after his experimentation began by two physicians, John Collins Warren and William Morton for the removal of a tumor on a man's neck. So there's another fun fact for you. But many doctors initially didn't even trust anesthesia. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of physicians were like, no, we don't even know what this is. We don't know the side effects, dosage, not a chance. It was just here, breathe this in. Hopefully we see you in a couple hours. Bye. Bye. Good Good night. Good night. (laughs) 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 Just wave goodbye. Close your eyes. There, there, sweet cheeks. And so like there was no 
they didn't know anything. They didn't know anything when it came to dosage and treatment and, for, you know, do we need to use this for every surgery? There was also the belief, it was a very common belief back then, and unfortunately still is today, that black people don't feel pain the same way that white people do. So they didn't need anesthesia. Which again frustrates me because he writes about how her pain was so severe. Literally. So like obviously, I mean. Where's. Yeah, it just doesn't, none of the line of reasoning tracks, in my opinion. None of it at all. None of it at all. So the use of anesthesia really didn't become widely popular until the very end of the 19th century. And that's when we really started to see that kind of more commonplace. We kind of started to figure out, okay, the proper dosage, uh, you know, different chemicals to use for different surgeries, all of that good stuff. But honestly, even still, if anesthesia had been widely used, the odds, the chances that they would use anesthesia for enslaved black women is very, very slim. And that's where we kind of had the conversation about consent. So Sims writes that women, quote, clamored for the operation to relieve their discomfort. So they're, he's, in his words, they're essentially begging him. And that for very well could be true because like we talked about, this is a painful condition this vesicular vesicovaginal fistula it is painful it is uncomfortable you have to deal with the societal implications of just leaking urine or feces all the time with no control over it it is incredibly detrimental and i mean back then if you weren't produced if you weren't a productive slave yeah what what was what what was the use yeah right that that's that was the thought process of slave owners back then. So it very well could be that these women were willing participants. Or maybe they were for the first time, not knowing. Yeah. But the, the problem is their side of the story was not recorded. We have no voice from these women. Lost to history. And then we have kind of this idea, and I have a quote from... Um, Bettina Judd, who is a professor, assistant professor of gender and women sexuality studies at the University of Washington. And she talks about, you know, consent is not always about the idea of can you say yes? It's the idea or, or the concept, can you say no? And as slave women as regarded as property, no, they, they had no choice in the matter. He took over temporary ownership of them. Yeah, it didn't matter if they wanted to. It didn't matter if they didn't want to. And we will never know. No. We will never know. We only have the names of three of them, and there yeah. was countless women. So all of these women are just lost to history while he gets all of this credit. And I think, if nothing else, what we wanted to do to this episode is give these women a story their side of the story yes give them a voice because like you know it like we said they very well could have been eager to get this get this fixed and it's it's even said that anarka did actually assist and aid in some of the surgeries on some of the other women and so it is likely that they were wanting to get this fixed i mean i think any human being would want would want to get that fixed but again it comes down to had they had the did they have the choice to say no were they even able to say no and that is unlikely that is unlikely and so we owe a lot to these women for what they went through Mm -hmm. and and what they what they helped to establish as now standard care today Mm -hmm. 
So after 30 procedures on Anarka, Sims was actually finally successful in repairing her fistula. And he used silver wire sutures that he actually had created by a jeweler. This type of material, these type of sutures are still used to this day. And basically the problem he had during these procedures is he would usually be able to close it with whatever he was using, but then these women would get that blood poisoning or infections or it wouldn't stay closed or the wound would dehiss or just whatever. So it was not staying closed because the material he was using, again, sterile procedures not a thing at the time so when he was using like he used silk for a couple of them and they were getting all the germed microbiomes in the fabric of the silk what the silver did was that the the bacteria could not grow on that silver wire so he was able to close it successfully without the infection occurring yep so after years and years of practicing and experimenting on these on these women he actually moved to New York and began performing this procedure on white women in the 1850s with anesthesia with anesthesia of, of course. course of course and I even saw some things it was like he knew he had to basically perfect this on on the slave women because it would not have been ex- the amount of times he failed in the treatment of these patients would not have been su- acceptable if it, were, if it had been on white women. Yeah. 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 No, not absolutely not. So, so after he, that, he eventually went on to open the first women's hospital in 1855. And I am upset that this man is accredited with that because I want to take it away from him <laughs> so bad. But he did open the first women's hospital. It was in New York City. It was the first hospital in the country to be dedicated specifically for the care and treatment of women. Amazing, fantastic, definitely needed. Again, however, this was so that he could get famous. Like, yeah. This was not. He saw a need for it and an opportunity to get his name out there, not out of the kindness of his heart. He was an opportunistic man, for sure. He... If you want to, we're not going to go into detail about this, but if everything we said about his original practices was not sinister enough for you, he also eventually began experimenting on enslaved children, trying to treat um, basically what we call today neonatal tetanus, which we don't really have today because it's just tetanus in a baby. It comes from using um, a contaminated cord to cut the, or device to cut the, the umbilical cord or just ex- if a kid's exposed to any kind of tetanus, anything like that. With our sanitary conditions, we don't really have this as much today. It's mainly seen in um, third world countries, things like that. But what he did, it was horrible, some of the things he did, and he was very unsuccessful. He was not successful at all in treating this. Because his thought process is just right. not there. Because his heart's not in it. He's just trying to figure out ways to make money. Um, And when he failed, again, just trying to give you a glimpse into the mind of this man. He did not believe anything was wrong with his methods. He literally is quoted saying, The sloth and ignorance of their mothers and the black midwives who attended them is what caused the procedure to fail. So no accountability in this man whatsoever. Like none. 
So, like I said, it just... I read all the arguments that was like, it was like hero or villain, all these like literal published articles. And I was like, villain, <laughs> like there's no other. There's really not a question no, here. No, there wasn't there's even really... debate, a debate for me. No. But he did open the first ever women's hospital, like Rachel said. Yep. So do appreciate that, I guess. Yep. He traveled around Europe because clearly this man was uh, a uh, stout confederate and decided that he didn't want to be in America during the Civil War because that would be too hard. So he left to Europe, um, went and traveled around Europe for a little bit, practiced in Paris and London, um, kind of showcased his procedure for the VVF repair. And then he returned um, at the end of the Civil War in 1865. He continued his work in pelvic surgeries and development of tools well into his later years. And this man finally died of a heart attack in New York City in 1883. So sad. Darn. A bronze statue of Sims actually stood in New York City from 1894 until 2018. And it was then that protesters finally convinced the New York City Public Design Commission to take it down. And so they said that they were going to move the statue just to like where he was buried. Uh, They have not done that yet. So who knows where that statue is who cares um i think there there is talk of replacing that statue with a statue of anarka actually um hopefully that happens soon Um, i don't believe it has happened yet but it has there has been discussion of replacing that with her yeah and i that was also kind of question like trying to find information on that was hard because there was talk of like it being replaced with a plaque that educated the public Mm -hmm. because that's what I saw. And this infuriated me a little bit too. There was a lot of controversy about taking the statue down because it was like, Oh, we can't forget our history and we're trying to erase history. And it's like, no, 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 we're not trying to erase anything. We're trying to tell the true story because that statue, when you just hear father of gynecology, all these things, that is not the history. Speculum and runner of this surgery to repair this horrible condition. That's one side. Half. That's half of the story. And so it's like, no, no, nobody's trying to erase history. In fact, we're trying to bring to light what happened and honor all of the participants all of the women who didn't have a voice in creating what we now can I mean thank them for but it just yeah some of that stuff is kind of enraging to read honestly like I had a really hard time if you want to just really (laughs) piss yourself off you can just go look up all of this information there's a lot more that like like I said we didn't talk about it is too horrific to talk about some of the things that he did to the kids and just his overall just thought process and just really just nonchalant attitude when it came to performing these surgeries and providing adequate care for these women yeah he has been compared to joseph mengele if that gives you any indication so I would say that's a pretty accurate comparison. I don't know. The more I read about this man, just the more in rate. I was like, can we have another father 
or mother yeah of modern gynecology this is our bid to rename the mother of gynecology as an arca please and thank you she helped she and i like to think and maybe this is just like my brain trying to like bring some light to this horrific situation but i like to think of these women like when he's not there banding together like comforting each other talking each other through things like just this real sisterhood again that could just be my brain trying to make trying to to find something horrible horrible situation just terrible but so that is the story of james marion sims the quote-unquote father of gynecology but anyways so that's your episode on the father of gynecology who we no longer refer to as the father of gynecology. No, we're disowning him. Yeah. We'll be the mothers. That's fine. (laughs) We are now your moms. Yep. All right, kiddos. Do you have a patient win? I do. I Okay, so I had to start, like, writing them down in my phone. Right, so did I. (laughs) I was having really good ones and then forgetting about them. Um, I had a patient come in, and we've been working on some things been working on some pain things some incontinence things all the pelvic floor things and I was just I every time a patient comes in we go through how are you today how have your symptoms been just kind of like my little checklist and she told me I am better than I have been in three years and I was just like I love that like just and she was like and it's all because of this like everything we've been working on like I just all around feel better than I have felt in three years that's amazing so I was like oh yep writing that one down (laughs) (laughs) oh that's fantastic my patient when I actually saw her yesterday I had been treating her kind of throughout her pregnancy she was having just some pelvic girdle pain some pelvic girdle instability through the progression of her pregnancy and I saw her again yesterday for the first time since she had her little baby and she showed me all sorts of pictures this is the cutest little nugget I've ever seen. Um, but she's actually doing really well and she just really just wanted to come in and make sure that everything was good. She's not having nearly the amount of pain and discomfort that she was having beforehand. And so we were able to just kind of check the, you know, check the everything off the list, make sure that her strength, her coordination, endurance, everything like that checked out. And so she's doing fantastic, but just another postpartum recovery success story for her. And she's doing good. Baby's doing good. And so it was so good to see her again. I was like, I saw you on my schedule and I was so excited. And so it was, it was good to catch up with her. And like I said, she's doing great. She's doing great. I love it when patients come in after having a baby and everyone like my favorite. If they have the baby with them, so many times I'll have them like hold it up to me like Simba style. Like look, (laughs) look what I made. Look at it. I so great. So that's always great. I love seeing it makes it makes my heart so happy. I love working with pregnant women and then seeing them postpartum. It's so fun. Listen, if you are seeing us right now and you are pregnant if you don't bring your baby to your following appointment we will be upset with you okay i'm just a fair warning i think bring your baby we have fun here that's what i think people get so scared and so nervous it's fun like we have a a good time it's not all just like i don't know there's no pewter spoon speculums we have a good time here okay your psa for this week Thank your gynecologist. Yeah. Be thankful that your uh, 
that women's health care is a thing now. Yes. That there's no more pewter spoon speculums. Thank your gynecologist for a speculum warmer. That's really nice. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. We will... This kind of wraps up this series. I hope you enjoyed our little historical era that we just went through. I had a really good time researching all of this yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, some of it was depressing, but it was really interesting. So if there's anything else that y'all want to know, like the history about, if there's any people in particular that you want us to do a deep dive on, um, we can absolutely do that and just kind of, you know, we should do one on Arnold Kegel. Arthur. Oh yeah, we, we should. never figured out what his first name was. I know we're gonna have to look that up. I Arnold also, or Arthur. The Tuskegee syphilis yeah. experiment. That was bad. Yeah. We Sims need, was compared to that a lot. Yeah, I saw that too. So. That's kinda but um we'll maybe do some lighter episodes. Yeah. <laughs> we might mix it up a little bit. Maybe we'll save that for the new year. <laughs> But all right, guys, you can follow us on any social media platform. We are on Instagram at pelvic service announcement. Send us a DM, leave us a rating, a review on Spotify or on Apple. It really does help us become more visible to other people who might need it. Like, follow, share, subscribe, all the things. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye.